This is the Week in Addiction Medicine, a podcast resource of timely news and top stories brought to you by the American Society of Addiction Medicine, ASAM. Today is Tuesday, October 3rd, and I'm Claire Rasmussen. Our lead story this week, U.S. tobacco companies selectively disseminated hyperpalatable foods into the U.S. food system, is in addiction. This study compared tobacco companies who owned food companies to food companies that were not owned by tobacco companies in regards to hyperpalatability between 1988 and 2001. Upon review of industry documents, this study found that tobacco companies selectively disseminated HPF into the U.S. market. Tobacco-owned foods were 29% more likely to be classified as fat and sodium HPF and 80% more likely to be classified as carbohydrate and sodium HPF than foods that were not tobacco-owned. Further research should consider the links between industries to appreciate potential impact on public health. Our next study in Neuron is titled A Cholinergic Circuit That Relieves Pain Despite Opioid Tolerance. The role of central cholinergic signaling in pain modulation remains poorly understood. This study identified an endogenous cholinergic circuit that regulates sensory and effective components of acute and chronic pain. Pain relief through cholinergic mechanisms was not associated with tolerance, reward, or withdrawal symptoms, highlighting its potential clinical relevance. A new study in JAMA Psychiatry is titled One-Year Association of Drug Possession Law Change with Fatal Drug Overdose in Oregon and Washington. This cohort study investigated whether laws reducing penalties for drug possession resulted in fewer fatal drug overdoses one year later. Results reveal that laws decriminalizing drug possession in these states were not associated with changes in fatal drug overdose rates. Future research should consider longer-term associations. Our next article, Social Media Use and Subsequent E-Cigarette Susceptibility Initiation in Continued Use Among U.S. Adolescents, is in Preventing Chronic Disease. Social media platforms have extensive e-cigarette-related content. This study found that social media use is associated with subsequent susceptibility to e-cigarette use and initiation, but not with continued use of e-cigarettes among U.S. adolescents. These findings suggest that understanding and addressing the association between social media and e-cigarette use is critical. Our next study in JACC Advances is titled Substance Use in Pregnancy and Its Association with Cardiovascular Events. During the study period of 2004 to 2018, the authors found that 1.6% of all deliveries involved substance use, with cannabis and opioids being most common. Any substance use was associated with CV events, major cardiac events, and maternal mortality. As substance use has increased during pregnancy, these findings reinforce the importance of maternal health in identifying substance use during pregnancy. Next, we have an article titled National Provider Survey, Use of Naltrexone for Pregnant Individuals with Substance Use Disorders in Journal of Addiction Medicine. In this article, a national registry of sites providing naltrexone was used to randomly select 10% of the sites for the study. Of the 236 sites contacted, 78 or 33% completed an 11-question survey concerning the use of naltrexone in pregnancy. Half of the sites did not accept pregnant patients. 
When asked if a female patient receiving naltrexone became pregnant, 39% of sites said that they would continue naltrexone, while 36% said they would transition to another medication. Lack of guidelines for use of naltrexone in pregnancy was the most common barrier. The authors call for large, prospective, randomized trials of naltrexone during pregnancy. Our next article in Addiction Biology is titled Sex Differences in Endocannabinoid Tone in a Pilot Study of Cannabis Use Disorder and Acute Cannabis Abstinence. Previous work has demonstrated that women experience more severe cannabis withdrawal symptoms than men. This study measured blood endocannabinoid levels during cannabis abstinence in five men and five women with cannabis use disorder. During abstinence, the cannabis withdrawal scale was greater for women than for men. Of the seven blood endocannabinoid levels measured, one was associated with cannabis withdrawal scale in both sexes. However, treatments for cannabis use disorder targeting the endocannabinoid system need to take these sex differences into account. Our final article in the American Journal of Drug and Alcohol Abuse is titled, Are You Thinking What I'm Thinking? Defining What We Mean by Polysubstance Use. In this perspective, the authors propose what they believe are key components of polysubstance use. These components include 1. Types of substance used, 2. Timing of substance use, and 3. The intention for each substance used. The authors note that all these considerations are important both in terms of research and also clinically when considering treatment interventions, and they should be clearly defined when discussing polysubstance use. This concludes today's episode of This Week in Addiction Medicine. Remember to subscribe to the ASAM Weekly for more exclusive content and our editor's commentary, delivered every Tuesday. Be sure to check us out on social media and asam.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.